Oh, good to see you today. Glad that you're here. Uh, glad to welcome you. And I'm also very glad that you're here. <laughs> well, Because last you. week we weren't I exactly weren't really sure, so sure if it was going to work out for her to come and be a part of this. But I'm very thankful. <laughs> Would you wel- welcome my wife, Lisa? Thank you. <laughs> Love in the wild. I saw this story about 10 couples that got married, said their wedding vows aboard the Python roller coaster at Bush Gardens. How um, romantic. The preacher took his Bible, climbed aboard, had this remote microphone to headsets that they were all wearing, and it took three trips of 45 seconds each on that roller coaster. And when it stopped in between the second and the third ride, that's when the couples exchanged their rings. So can you see it? I mean, maybe you didn't get married on a roller coaster, but you can relate to one. <laughs> you know, the ups and downs, the ins and outs, the, uh, the upside downness and twists and turns of marriage. Today, yeah, today, our love in the wild message is learning the dance. And so its focus is on conflict in the relationship. And you don't have to be married to benefit from this talk. But I have to tell you, if you are married or if you are thinking about marrying someday, there is help here for you because every marriage has conflicts. Shall we say that together? Every Every marriage marriage has has conflicts. conflicts. And today... I'm excited to have with me the woman who has shared every single one of my marriage conflicts, Lisa, my wife. So I want to give it up for her one more time. She doesn't do this regularly, but here she is. This is awesome. No, 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 no. Oh, my goodness. And we're on the last one. This is the last one. I'm so excited. Um, But each week, we've been learning lessons from couples in the Bible, and today... We're going to learn from a couple that had conflicts. Now, which couple is it going to be? You know, they, they all had them. They, there's Adam and Eve. There's Abraham and Sarah. There's Rachel and, and um, Isaac and Rebecca. There's Rachel and Jacob and Leah. King David Much does conflict. with Saul's daughter and with Bathsheba. And the New Testament couples have them too, like Ananias and Sapphira. It's no wonder that we do also. So who's going to be our teacher today? How about the guy that is known as the wisest man, Solomon, from the Song of Solomon, and the Shulamite maid that he married. Uh, Solomon, the lady of his dreams, told this, their stories told in the Song of Solomon. Now, 1 Kings chapter 4 says that he wrote 1,005 songs, but the one that we know best is the love story that we have in the Song of Solomon. And the story opens with the couple, the so- Solomon and the, so- and the uh, Shulamite woman, falling in love. And in chapter 2, they get engaged. And in chapter 3, they have the royal wedding. Chapter 4, then, is the honeymoon and the glory- where they share the glorious beauty of their married love and intimacy. And then chapter 5, oh, my, what happens there? Oh, conflict. conflict. They have a falling out. I mean, conflict has now invaded their marriage. And Solomon, the story seems to be saying that Solomon has made an advance toward his wife, that she she says she's too tired, and so he heads out. 
And I wonder if it's and she maybe chases after to him. the harem. So yeah. she's chasing after she him. She chases after him, but can't find him. And on her way back, she's mugged. Uh, <laughs> on her way back home, she's mugged by these thugs on the dark streets of Jerusalem. And so chapter 6 and 7 tell the story of how her husband realizes his mistake and he goes back home. And then he tells her, um, you know, there, there are many more women in my world, but you are my unique one. You are my dove, my one of a kind. Says so she's his perfect, unique, the complete and perfect in beauty, perfect in purity. And then in chapter 7, what he does, he just drenches her with appreciation and appreciation and words of appreciation. Then she responds in kind, and then that leads to reconciliation, and then to closer intimacy. And then after they make up, here's the story ends with this bottom line. Here's the bottom line of the entire Song of Solomon. Love is as strong, strong as, death, as death. It burns like, like a, a blazing, blazing fire, fire, like, like a, a mighty flame. flame. Many, Many waters cannot, cannot quench love. love. And rivers, rivers cannot, cannot sweep, sweep it, it away. away. So what we're supposed to take from this, this is my take on it, is that conflict has now given way to greater intimacy. Intimacy has triumphed over conflict. And the dance they're learning. And the learning. dance they're learning how is to take a step together and that moves them through conflict and into an even deeper intimacy. So the question is, would that be helpful for you to know? Would you like to know what kind of steps are those? <laughs> what dance are we talking about here? Because every marriage has conflict. Shall we say it again? Every, every marriage, marriage has, has conflict. conflict. Maybe you should look at the person you're sitting by and you should say, every marriage has, has conflict. conflict. Because this is the truth. And sometimes it catches us by surprise. We come into a marriage saying, oh, we have so much in common. And then all of a sudden, what you have in common is this conflict, and you're saying, what's going on? Yeah. Well, there's this little acrostic called Simbus, and it is short for you save your marriage before it starts. It says that there, there are the top five conflicts that every married couple faces are finances, intimacy, careers, kids, chores, and then there's some other ones that are also mentioned, expectations, in-laws, jealousy, and un undesirable friends. I heard a little rumble out there with in-laws. Was, was that just me? Yeah. Um, and then communication is a conflict zone. It's like um, what you say, how you say what you say, what's not being said that you're trying to say, and then when you really don't know what you don't know, but you say it anyway, that that can all be a seedbed for conflict. And one of the painful lessons uh, for me in learning this happened on an April 1st when we were, I think we'd just been married four or five years. We were living in Texas. And um, one of the guys in my church said, oh, yeah, my wife and I play jokes on each other. It's fun. I said, oh, well, I'll try that. <laughs> And yeah. so <laughs> I had the phone to my head, landline, had phone to my head, and I was faking like I had just received a call from IRS. And so Lisa walks into the room and I say, oh, oh, well, we hadn't thought about that. I, 
I guess we'll just have to figure it out. Um, I guess if that's the way it is. And I hang up, and she comes over. She goes, "Who was that? What? What did they? What was going on?" I said, "Well, it turns out that we've we've had some kind of complication in our taxes, and now we owe more than we thought we did." She gets How this much? concerned look on her face, and she says, "How much? How much more?" And I say, "Lots more." Lots more. <laughs> And so, I shouldn't laugh, but she was consoling me. She was trying to say. Because usually I'm the one that worries about the money, and Bill's always like, "Ah, it'll all be okay." And now she's she's looking all She's saying, "Oh, we can work this out. We'll figure it out. We'll find a way." And that's when I go, "April Fools!" (laughs) 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 Oh man! Um, (laughs) She went ballistic. I've never seen her so livid, so furious in, in all of our marriage. I mean, this was like a major misjudgment on my part. She leaves the room. She's blowing steam with every step, and she's making it clear to me, and I'm wincing, you know, dodging, wincing, and uh, uh, she's speaking so loudly. We live in a small town. We don't have air conditioning. The windows are open. I'm afraid the neighbor's going to hear what's going on, and the next thing you know, every, everybody in town's going to know, hey, there's a major scrap down at the preacher's house. Yeah. And, major, major. And so it was bad. Guys, was I sorry? Deeply, <laughs> deeply. Did she believe me? <laughs> uh, um, so what an education for me. I promise you, I never teased about money or taxes again in our relationship. Every couple has conflicts. Did you know that? Every couple has conflicts, and some of them come from our own mistakes, our own misguided mistakes. Others of them happen more innocently. And if you think about it, uh, you and your spouse are very different from each other without even trying. Uh, You come from different backgrounds, different parents, different upbringings, different personalities, different genders, different gifts, different perspectives, different approaches to life. And different wounds. And some wounds that you may not even know that you're bearing until you get in the relationship. Uh, And then they trigger you, and then that's when it shows up. Did you know science says that every cell in my body is different from every cell in her body? She's not me. And every cell in her body is different from every cell in my body. She is uniquely her. So when a couple says to me, we never argue. You know what I'm thinking? Who's not showing up? <laughs> yeah. You know, who's not, who's not showing up, you know, to be present? Because conflict is normal, especially when two very different people are learning how to do life together. But Max Lucado is right when he says, conflict is inevitable, combat is optional. Amen. And not only that, Jesus, Jesus, who Matthew 12 says is wiser than Solomon. I mean, we're going to get back to Solomon, the wise man, but we got somebody that we follow as our Lord and who loves us, who is wiser than the wisest wise man. And Jesus says, there is a way to let conflict work to your favor. Imagine that. Now, at first it will feel counterintuitive. 
but it is a profound tool that Lisa and I have been using for a long time now, learning how to use it even better, but uh, that will help. In fact, every one of us can use this tool to develop and to grow and move from conflict into growth. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 3 through 5, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you even think of saying to your friend, let me help you with that speck. Mm. Get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see the log in your own. Mm. Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, what I hear Jesus saying here is he's inviting us to frame our perceived conflicts. See, this is about what you see. It's about your perceptions that Jesus is inviting his listeners to frame their perceived conflicts as opportunities for growth and growth in three ways. And the first one is self-awareness, self-awareness. Something has triggered you. It's troubling you. It bothers you. Uh, you see something bothersome in your spouse's eye, the way they see something. And uh, you want to say, hey, there's something in your eye. And you feel very compelled uh, about offering correction to fix it because, hey, helping is a good thing, right? But here's the new insight from Jesus. What triggers you in someone else can actually be an on-ramp into greater self-understanding, greater self-awareness. The speck in their eye may be revealing something that you have got in yours, and this could be an on-ramp to greater self-awareness or to greater freedom, like a mirror to your own soul. So if you really want to be helpful, Bill, then start with Bill, especially if your marriage in your marriage, I mean, take the growth step into self-awareness. So my growth here um, helped me find a log in my own eye. And I remember, I, so I tend to remember details um, more than Bill does. Certain details I'll remember. Things with numbers. There's just certain things I remember well. So when he's telling a story... And I remember the, and I'll, I'll sometimes remember the details differently. And my tendency is that I just, I just, I, inter, I tend to interrupt and I correct him in public. I've done this, even though the details don't really change the meaning of the story. They really weren't that important, but they just felt like they were wrong, and I kind of needed to correct them. Um, and, but what that di- does. And what my interrupting and correcting does is it casts doubt and, and uh, disrespect on my husband in public. And that is really not what I want to do. That is, I don't want to do that. And I, become aw- I have become aware that I do that and it grieves me. It makes me feel very upset with myself. I want, my, I want others to respect my husband. And that step of self-awareness then leads to the next step for me. And it was humility. I realized that I had this log in my eye that I needed to deal with. Jesus says, first remove the log in your own eye. There's something that needs to happen uh, to happen that you can do that will help you see more clearly 
what, and it'll help you see more clearly. And what that's saying is we don't see things as they are. We tend to see things as we are. And sometimes the way we are is interfering and even adding to the conflict. So Jesus says, first, remove the log from your own eye. Thanks for sharing that. Um, is this true for you that when it comes to my eyes, I tend to be pretty careful? You know, I want to be careful about what I put in them. So um, I want to make sure it's eye drops and not something else from the bathroom cabinet, you know, the medicine cabinet. And then when there's something in my eye and I feel it, then I want to be very careful about how I remove it, how I take care of my eyes, right? So I was thinking about this, and um, I'm wondering if the reason Jesus said, give attention to your own eyes first, is because then maybe we'll remember how precious our eyes are to us, and before we start messing with somebody else's, there'll be an increased awareness of empathy. Before we touch somebody else's eye, we could say, well, self-awareness brings me humility and a curiosity that then leads me to empathy, that I, can, I know how it feels and how they might feel if I'm going to step into their perception. So if this doesn't make sense to you, then what I would suggest is try what Jesus is teaching here. Try this in your next conflict. Every marriage has conflicts. Not every marriage knows how to handle them the way Jesus is teaching us here. Then the next dance step, number three, is true helpfulness. Help with the speck in your partner's eye. Go for the team win, not your own. This means that you don't yank the speck out and say, now see, I told you, you weren't seeing things clearly. I told you there was something in your eye. No. This, you, uh, just to prove your point or to win the argument or to, you know, Shut it down. How many of you have learned that if you win an argument with your spouse, you both lose? You don't have to raise your hands. <laughs> but it, this is part of the experience. It's like there's a way to win so you both lose. Yeah, but there's also a way to lose so that you both win. Try this. Lose your ego. Lose your stubborn pride. Lose your sarcasm and those biting put-downs, lose the condescending, scolding tone of voice. Identify what triggered you. That's what Jesus says. Start here. Before you verbalize anything, start with yourself. What's going on here? There's something for me to understand. There's some curiosity that is deserved here. So identify what triggered you and where did that trigger come from and then lose the log in your eye in order to win for the team. Then, then he says, then help your partner. Help is a good thing. But help your partner to see with shared clarity that comes out of humility, which means you're sharing the win as a team. So there's a way to win um, so that your team wins, and that is to die to self. Hmm. Fight the right enemy, not your partner. Don't fight with your partner. Fight for your partner. And that's another one of those that's probably worth repeating together. Don't, Don't fight, fight with, with your, your partner. partner. Fight, fight for, for your, your partner. partner. 
And here I'm thinking, how dense can I be? Because how many years was it into our marriage? I kept wanting to win the argument. I kept wanting to prove myself right. I kept wanting, because of course I was. I just needed her to get it. And, and so, but, but here, don't fight with your partner. Then what I realized was, wait a minute. We're on the same team. We should be fighting another enemy together so that we can share the win. And that's what we're talking about here. So think of it this way. In a dance, you're in a dance. Whose steps are you responsible for in the dance? Your own or your partner's? Your own. Duh. You know, it's like your own. Your own. And Jesus is teaching us a dance lesson here. Start with your own steps. See every potential conflict as an opportunity for growth, for your own growth. And so what that means is, Bill, what you think in her or what she thinks in you uh, is an offense may in fact be filtering through something else that you are seeing through on your end. See, right? Just like she's already said, we see things not as they are all the time, but as we are. And so stopping to see what filter, what screen am I using here? Like Brene Brown says, you brought this up to me. Yeah, what story are you telling yourself? What story am I telling myself? Because what we've discovered is that the story that she's telling herself (laughs) is different from the story I'm telling myself. So it helps us when we say, hey, help me understand. And that's a way that we can find Right. What's the log? What's the splinter? Right. So we need to slow down. We need not to react. We need to stop reacting. We need to reflect. Um, and you'll grow in, if we do this, you'll grow in humility and curiosity. You are bringing a learning posture into every situation. So stay open to learn, willing to learn, seek, and you will find. Now, I'm thinking here, I could be wrong in this. But somebody here might be thinking, but what if this is just the way I am? Hey, this is just how I am. And I can't change the way I feel. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've said that. Maybe you've felt Felt that. that. (laughs) And and so I want to say, well, what makes you so sure? Truly, because Jesus, who's the wiser than the wisest wise man, Solomon, you know, Jesus, our Lord, is showing us here a pathway to soul change in a relationship. Now, the soul is where our emotions find their seat in ourselves. And so Jesus is saying, okay, here's the scenario. You're feeling one thing, and it's leading you to one course of action. And then he says, so slow down and check your rear view. Check your blind spot before you're changing lanes and before you attempt to change your partner. Check it. Those are steps of self-awareness, of humility, and curiosity. And then the next step. Then the next step is help your partner. Go for the team win. Don't just win the argument, win your relationship. And now here's where we go back to what Solomon learned and taught in the Song of Solomon story. What I'm taking away from that is the deeper intimacy. Okay, every couple has conflict. But in the story, we learn that deeper intimacy lies just on the other side of the conflict. And it helps me to remember that. Okay, wait, we're in a conflict. Must be on our way to intimacy. 
We're not going to get stuck in the conflict. We can move to the other side. Conflict poorly handled will lead to isolation. But conflict rightly handled, this is what Jesus, I think, is trying to show us, what the song is trying to show us. Conflict rightly handed, handled will lead you to greater intimacy. Hmm, so how does that work? Well, you need to identify your own triggers, that, and, and, which means, and so you do that through honesty and vulnerability which is, feels scary sometimes. Mm. This means emotional transparency and openness, which brings you to the opportunity for courage. Courage to what? Courage to be the first one who says something tender, like, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Okay, wait just a second. Guys, you want to be the leader in your home? This is the place where leading really matters. It takes courage mm. to do this. Every time I do it, there's something in me that's saying, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> Make her do it. No, I want to lead. So if I'm going to lead the way Jesus says to lead, then I'm going to say something like, I'm sorry, this isn't, this isn't where I wanted this to go. Or something kind, like you matter so much to me. Or I misunderstood. Or, Help me understand. Or I misspoke. Or please forgive me. Please forgive me. Maybe you never saw your parents argue. Hmm. Or maybe you did, and it wasn't healthy. Hmm. And so that's why you do what you do or don't do what you don't do. <laughs> because you didn't have anybody that showed you how or how to do it well. I'm thinking, hey, well, we don't have to stay stuck there, you know. It doesn't mean we can't learn how to do it. I think that's why Jesus is trying to teach this. I think we told you all last week that we called our girls, our daughters last week to see, ask them questions uh, about what they remembered about growing up in our household. And, and one of the first things they told us was um, that they remembered seeing us argue and disagree and be upset with each other. The first thing both of them told us in separate calls. Oh, yeah. I remember we remember you all arguing. <laughs> We're like, oh, that's the first thing you remember. Oh, dear. They, um, they saw that in, the, that, marriage, that in marriage, feelings get, will, will get hurt. That you get your feelings hurt. You will get frustrated with each other. Jess, Jessica remembered this really stellar example of um, one that had to do with me. And she, she said, Dad, you were frustrated with Mom. And we were running late, and we were already in the car, and we were waiting on her to come. And you said, it frustrates me, but I wouldn't change it, because if I changed that, it would change other things I really love about your mother. <laughs> your mother lives fully in the moment, every moment, and that contributes to her being late. She doesn't think about time the way I do. I'm just glad that was the story she remembered. <laughs> Uh, but one thing that Lisa can tell you that I don't think the same way she thinks about doing is driving. So, you know, my driving needs help. My driving needs prayer. If you want to know how to pray for your pastor, then pray for his So driving. my mother says that a little angel has been camped on top of Bill's car our whole married life. And our staff it can has. tell you, if you want your faith to grow, just ride, ride with, with Bill. Bill. So, um, <laughs> That's now, the truth. Like, the, nice, the nice officer, I, I was driving just to school one day, like I told you in the mornings <laughs> I would do, and this nice officer wanted to spend some time with me. <laughs> so 
he invited me to come over and, and talk, and he said, uh, good daddy, good daddy, bad driver. <laughs> so I have third-party confirmation on this. Um, so what do we do with our conflicts? Oh, the song says, love burns like a blazing fire and a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. R rivers cannot sweep it away. And what that means, I believe, is that it is possible to keep your marriage fire burning. Burning hot, burning bright, even though there may be things getting put on it, trying to put it out. But how do you keep a fire burning? I, I love fires, and mm -hmm. so I can tell you that I'm, it needs room to breathe, and you got to keep it fueled. So how do you keep a marriage fire burning? You give it room to breathe, and you keep putting love logs on the fire. And some of those logs, some of the best love logs you can put on your marriage fire come right out of your own eye. Hmm. Did you see that coming? <laughs> some of the best logs, guys, that you can burn will be in the presence of the one who shares your fire. So don't be afraid to lead out. I can tell you, there's greater and deeper connection right on the other side. And actually, you have the power to turn conflicts into intimacy. Yes, especially when you blow on the fire with forgiveness. That's what God does with us. He forgives us. And it's not because it's deserved. Any of us Christ followers... Any of you who've ever come to Christ, you know that he tells you the truth and that you admit it, say, Lord, I just need your forgiveness. And then he's overflowing with forgiveness and kindness and grace. But it's not because I deserve it. It's because that's how God love is. Mm -hmm. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just, just as, in as in Christ, God, God forgave you. you. This is a model for marriage. This verse applies in marriage. Two good forgivers make for great marriage partners. And then Peter, before he signs off in his letter, he writes to the, the believers and he says, above all. Above all, what does that mean? That means like above everything. Above being right in an argument. Above winning and making my point. Above that, yeah, above that, above that. Above my hurt feelings, yep, above, above all. Above all, here's how Christ followers live. Love, love each, each other, other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And so I tell couples that come to me and ask me to officiate their wedding, I tell them that your marriage will be built on this kind of forgiveness. And I, I ask them as Christ followers, have they come to a point where they've experienced God's forgiveness, not because of anything they've done to earn it or to deserve it, but because God simply loves you and is not going to let your wrong stand against you, but forgive you. And then I say this, you've got a head start on so many couples because you already know how it feels to have experienced wrong and yet experienced forgiveness, which means that if you've experienced it, then you know how to share it. 
This is a very wise thing to know how to do. When you feel you've been done wrong, to be wise enough to do what God does in Christ and offer forgiveness that is not deserved, not earned, but because that's how love is. That's how God's love is. And so every couple that gets married in Christ gets married in this kind of forgiving love, knowing how to forgive because God has forgiven you and then knowing how to receive it by faith because you believe in the love you share. There's no future in any relationship without forgiveness. If the cross teaches me anything, it teaches me that. I won't have a future in my relationship with God without it. And then God wants me to bring that future into the relationship that we share. And I'm so thankful to have this woman to be the woman who brings the love of God into my life through a woman. And I want to be the man who brings the love of God into her life as a man. Don't want her to have to ever go looking anywhere else to find that. And then we want to learn how to model for our family. That's what this little band is that we're carrying around. Many of us are praying for our family members and asking that God would bring his forgiveness into their space so that they could experience it too. And if you'd like to get in that space with us now, I want you to pray with us right now as we bow. Gracious God, I thank you for your kindness toward me, for your patience with me, for your forgiveness of my selfish pride, of how my desire to prove a point and be right and win the argument can get in the way of my relationship with you and with my wife, with my kids, with others. Thank you for the courage it takes to take the step, the first step into the forgiving space, into the apologizing space, into the healing space. And thank you, Lord, that when I step there with you, that you always point my eyes to the cross. Our heads are still bowed, but may I remind you of something? Maybe you don't know this, but the marriage relationship is an illustration that God uses to try to help people that he wants to love and loves. Where he is the groom and and we are the bride. And where his strength and courage is creating a love space where we can go to experience forgiveness and healing. That God was in Christ on the cross creating that space to forgive my sins so that I might be freed. And then he rose from the dead so that his life and his love could come alive inside my life, inside your life. And if you would like that to be your relationship with God today, you have not experienced that before, then I want to invite you as Jesus stood at the door and knocked and he said, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and we will fellowship together. You can take that step right now in the words of this prayer. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for being God loving me and forgiving me for my sins. 
Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for rising from the grave that your life could come alive in mine. Come into my life. Be my savior. Forgive my sins. And now fill me with your kind of love that will empower me to share your forgiveness with those I love. I receive you now as my Savior. And now our heads still bowed just for a moment more, but if you prayed that prayer with me and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, I'd like to invite you simply to raise your hand wherever you're seated now and allow me to find you and then offer prayer for you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Right here in the center, the front, the middle, the back. God bless you. Amen. Lord Jesus, for these, for others perhaps I haven't seen, but who by lifting their hand is saying, I'm making room in my heart for you, God. Come into my life. May they sense your smile upon them. May they sense your spirit within them and giving them the healing and peace that they, that they need to know that they are forgiven and that they are loved as we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.